This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Suppose you had only three days to live. You knew that your days were limited to only three more. And suppose also that throughout your life, you had tried to be the kind of person God would have you to be. But now that you have only three days left, you have a burning desire within you to make these last three days count for the most. You wish, therefore, to leave something that is permanent, not just something that will be gone in time, but rather you want to leave something behind which is lasting. Perhaps you wish to instill an idea, a truth in the heart of someone. You wish that you could really make these last three days count in helping somebody else. And so, three days before you're going to die, a person comes up to you and says, I've got a spiritual problem I want you to help me with. And you then have this gratifying feeling within. Here's your chance to fulfill your deep desire. You're eager to help. Perhaps you can help this person. What is your problem, you ask the person? Well, he says, I've been figuring up my income taxes lately, and I just don't agree with the way the government has been spending my money. Do you think I ought to pay taxes when I don't like the way my money is being spent? Oh, whereupon your balloon of high hopes is burst because you were hoping that you could really help this person in some really significant manner. Well, maybe there'll be someone else whom I can help in a serious matter in their life, you reason. After all, I've got only three days left and I really want my life account for something in these three days. So before long, there comes another person to you for your help. And again, your hopes soar as maybe now you'll have the chance to leave your mark of help upon the life of someone in an area of great significance. The second person has a question for you. This man I know was married to a woman and the man died. She remarried, and her second husband died too. In fact, each time she remarried, her husband died. This woman ended up marrying seven husbands, and then finally, she died. Now the person asks you, what I want to know from you is, in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? Who's going to be called mama and daddy? Oh, how would you feel being asked these two questions when you had only three days left to live and when you wanted to help somebody with a serious spiritual problem? If you think you would feel a bit indignant at being asked such stupid questions as these, then you might be in a good position to understand just how Jesus must have felt when only three days before he was to die, he was asked these very two questions. To the first question, 
about taxes being sent to Rome and Caesar, Jesus knew that the people did not like the Roman yoke of oppression that was forced on them. So Jesus asked for a coin. Now, in that ancient day, coinage was a sign of kingship. As soon as a king came to the throne, he had some coins made with his own image on them. Oh, how modest. Coins were actually the property of the king whose image they bore. So Jesus asked, whose image is on this coin? Well, the answer is Caesar's. And whose name is under it? Well, Caesar's. Well, then Jesus said, give it back to Caesar. It is his. Give to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him. Now to this second question about marriage, Jesus knew that they were just trying to trap him. I think he must have been quite provoked with these Sadducees as he said, you are wrong because you're ignorant of the scripture and of God's power. You see, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and many others had a way of concerning themselves quite a bit over matters that did not amount to a hill of beans, as people often refer. That's not only true back in those days, but uh, it's true to us. People make mountains out of molehills. They put major emphasis upon minor matters. I heard some time ago about two congregations of different denominations who were located only a few blocks from each other in a small community. They thought it might be better if they would just merge and become one united church body, larger and more effective, rather than just two struggling little churches. Oh, great idea. But both churches were too petty to pull it off. What was the problem? Well, they could not agree on how they would recite the Lord's Prayer in a worship service. One group wanted, forgive us our trespasses, while the other group demanded, forgive us our debts. And so the newspaper reported that one church went back to its trespasses and the other returned to its debts. Well, there are still those today who seem to take such delight in the structure, the mechanics of religion, so much so they conclude that when they have followed the letter of the law, they have pleased God. Such is a person who, when it comes to the matter of the tithe, for example, gets into a rather frenzied lather, quoting verses like, we're under grace, not under the law now. And yet that person knows that the scripture also has a verse somewhere about the tithe being the Lord's. And so with a cloud of uncertainty about just what should be done in giving, this person feels that he must give a tithe or a tenth. And so he does that, after which he goes on his merry way, having paid God off for another week or so. Another example of the person who approaches his faith in a mechanical manner is the one who has a habit of going to church. Now, this is a good habit. I'm not knocking it. But the person, this person goes to church for his one, maybe even two hours per week, sits there and endures whatever he's exposed to, 
resisting any possibility of the Holy Spirit's penetrating that solid shell around him. And so he leaves God's house after the time is over, the hour, goes back about his normal self-centered way of living, and is totally unaffected as far as any spiritual growth is concerned. This person may feel better, though, because he's gone through the motions. He's followed the letter of the law. In the passage from Matthew, Jesus did not criticize the Pharisees because of their minute attention to details about money and giving. Rather, Jesus told them that they were responsible to God for all of their money. Does this mean that God has something to say about how we use the other nine-tenths? Yes, very definitely. What did Jesus say to them? His answer is recorded in Matthew 23, 23, which I'd like for us to use as our text for this morning. These are the words. Woe upon you, Pharisees, and you other religious hypocrites, leaders, for you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden, but you ignore the more important things, justice and mercy and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you shouldn't leave the more important things undone. Now, <clears throat> I know it may sound like heresy to hear a preacher saying this, but Jesus said that there were some things more important than the tithe. We're going to look this morning at three of these things for just a few minutes. And, and by the way, as we think about some things that are more important, let's not lose the sight of the fact that Jesus did plainly say you should tithe. Okay, what is more important to Jesus than the tithe? First, Jesus spoke about justice. This has to do with integrity, that which is right or just. There is no justice, there's no rightness when a church member uses a double standard for his conduct, one for his church life and a completely opposite one for his personal life. It is not just or right for any person to claim to be on God's side when the principles by which that person lives are contrary to God's fundamental wishes. And that person really knows it. According to the Bible, what the Bible has said, we just go the other direction. The psalmist speaks about integrity, rightness, justice. When he talks in the 15th Psalm about the man who, and this is a quotation, he sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Or as one translation has it, who keeps a promise even if it ruins him. Another paraphrase says, uh, it keeps a promise no matter what the cost. I heard about a banker in a small oil boom town who was the owner of a lease in an area of land that was known as Wildcat Territory. On one Thursday, an agent of a large company offered this banker $25 an acre for his lease on a certain portion of land. This man had previously paid only $5 per acre for his lease. 
The man considered this offer for a while, and finally the banker agreed to sell his lease for $25 per acre, $20 more than he paid for it. Even though he knew that a, a well was nearing completion on a nearby tract of land, and knowing also that its success or failure would determine the value of his piece of land. Well, the agent, wanting to buy the, the lease, promised to return two days later on a Saturday and complete the paperwork on the deal. On Friday night, the day before, however, one of these nearby wells was completed and it was a tremendous success. It was what they called a gusher. Leases and royalties jumped sky high overnight. And when that agent returned on Saturday to see the banker as he promised, he was kicking himself for not going ahead and signing the papers on that previous Thursday so he could get that land for only $25 per acre. Very quietly, the banker said to him, our trade that we agreed on last Thursday is still on. The agent replied, you mean you're still going through with our deal of last Thursday, even though we did not sign the papers then? Yes, said the Christian banker. I agreed on $25 and my word is my bond. In the 15th Psalm, verse 4, the psalmist says that one has standing with God who will swear to his own hurt and change not. One who keeps a promise even if it ruins him. Don't you know that banker as he kept his word even at the loss of thousands and thousands of dollars had a peace within his heart? Don't you know that God made it up to him in God's own time and God's own way? I'm sure he did. Justice is one thing that is more important to Jesus than money. Some things are right and some things are absolutely wrong. Our problem is not so much in knowing what is right or wrong, but rather in doing what we know to be the right thing. Justice. Jesus also spoke about another thing, mercy. That is the quality which is willing to forgive another person, not when they deserve it, but perhaps because they don't deserve it. Do you and I deserve God's love? Absolutely not. But in God's mercy and his loving kindness, Jesus came to forgive and to save us. Oh, how we need to be merciful with each other. Now, of course, this does not mean we adopt lower standards, but it does mean that we're going to be slow to condemn, quick to forgive. Sinners heard Jesus gladly. Do they hear us gladly? Sometimes they don't when we give them the impression that they are the terrible sinners and we are the holy saints. The real truth is that we all are vile and guilty in God's sight. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here is mercy in its most beautiful expression. How merciful are we to those around us? What is our attitude, for example, toward 
the alcoholic in your family who's causing all sorts of discord and disruption of peace and harmony? What's our attitude toward that young person in your home who gives so many evidences of immaturity, even sometimes downright arrogance? What is your attitude toward the person in your church or community who's gone through the agony of a breakup of a home in which divorce has resulted? What's your attitude toward that person? Or how about the one in your family with whom you have so much trouble getting along when you're the one who's trying to show the Spirit of Christ, when you are so often rebuked or even ridiculed because of your faith? In all of these situations, one thing that will never help is for us to give the impression that we are on a higher spiritual level than the other. We give the idea, when you're up on my level, then we can get together. There's not much mercy in that attitude, is there? Jesus showed love and mercy to everyone, even to those who were his enemies. Unless we as professing Christians and church members can come down off of our ivory towers of self-righteousness and prove to those around us that we really do care, then we have not even begun to obey the command of Jesus to be merciful. To Jesus, having a merciful attitude toward others is more important than money. Just how merciful do you consider yourself to be? Finally, Jesus spoke of the matter of faith. So much could be said about this word, but let me just give one thought for this morning. Our faith must always be in God, not in ourselves, not in our own greatness. <clears throat> in a day devotion, devotional by Max Lakato, he talks about uh, the one who still comes and the one who still speaks. That's Jesus. Once there was a man, says Max Lakato, who dared God to speak to him. Burn the bush, the man said, God, like you did from Moses, and I'll follow. Collapse the walls, Lord, like you did for Joshua. I'll fight. Still the waves like you did on Galilee, God, and I will listen. And so the man sat by a bush near a wall close to the sea and waited for God to speak. God heard the man, so God answered. He sent a fire, not for that bush, but for a church. He brought down a wall, not a brick wall, but a wall of sin. He stilled a storm, not a storm on the sea, but a storm of the soul. And God waited for the man to respond. And God waited and waited and waited. But because the man was looking at bushes, not hearts. He was looking at bricks, not lives. He was looking at seas, not souls. And the man decided God had done nothing. Finally, he looked up to God and said, God, have you lost your power? And God looked down at him and said, Have you lost your hearing? 
Jesus spoke of justice, mercy, and faith. In your personal living, have you lost sight of the proportionate value of things? Maybe we're all guilty of putting undue emphasis on things that are not really very important in the long run. It may be that many of us have been majoring on minor issues, or perhaps just talking about religion rather than having a real personal inward experience with Jesus Christ as our Savior. A cowboy explained his idea of Christian living this way. He said, I'm working for Jim here on the ranch. If I'd sit around telling what a good fellow Jim is and singing songs for him, I'd be doing what a lot of Christians do, but I wouldn't suit Jim. I'd get fired mighty quick. But when I buckle up my belt and I hustle out among the hills, seeing that Jim's herd of cattle is all right, not suffering from lack of water or feed, not getting off range or being branded by cattle thieves, then I'm proving my loyalty to Jim, my boss, and I'm serving him the way he wants to be served. So our question today is, are we serving God the way we want to or the way God wants us to? Jesus said, you should not leave the more important things undone, justice, mercy, and faith. Oh God, help us to be true to what the scripture plainly says, what Jesus told his followers and what he tells us, that we need to be about the business of pleasing you as we in our own personal lives follow the example of Jesus who is our Savior in giving justice, mercy, and having total faith in Christ who alone can save us. This we ask in his precious name. Amen.